Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. <laughs> Carrots choking on water. <laughs> what is dude? Spit it out. Spit it out. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Karen's now crying. Ah, yes. Ethan tried to kill me. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I'm here with my co-host, Karen Milliken. What's up, Karen? (laughs) (laughs) Hey! Hey! Hey, uh, what did we do earlier this week? We had a fight. Time to get vulnerable. Was it a uh, failure of communication? I would say it was an epic failure. <laughs> That's pretty intense. Yeah, we resolved it. We're still friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're within six feet of each other. Some good, it's, uh, well, COVID rules. <laughs> anyway, whatever. But yeah, no, we uh, kept short account. I'm, I'm good with it. So anyway, if you think everything around here is always hunky-dory, nope. Yeah, Ethan messes up a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Which means I get to exercise my asking for forgiveness muscle, which happens to be very strong. That's good. So Mine's growing. It's all good. It's more stubborn than yours. (laughs) Hey, speaking of uh, asking for forgiveness, that's a part of what it means to be a student of Jesus. And this week we are going to finish the talk that was given at the Watermark Community Shepherd and Leaders Night, Training Night, Equipping Night, whatever you want to call it, where we talked about discipleship. So you guys enjoy the rest of this talk. So the last question, I'm going to tie it up. What is our responsibility? Look, our responsibility is really simple. Kyle, you said it, man. I mean, you probably could have just said it and I'd stay down there and we'd be done. So, sorry. Because <laughs> he said it already, right? And that is to cultivate and maintain a posture of not knowing and non-achievement. What do I mean by that? Because everybody's like, "What? wait, what? You want me to not know and not do? Yes. Like a thousand times, yes. And here's what I mean. Eugene Peterson said, I want to simplify your lives. When other people are telling you to read more, I want to tell you to read less. When others are telling you to do more, I want to tell you to do less. The world does not need more of you. It needs more of God. Your friends don't need more of you. They need more of God. And you don't need more of you. You need more of God. The Christian life consists in what God does for us, not what we do for God. The Christian life consists in what God says to us, not what we say about God. Whew. I don't know it's a little close to home because it begs the question, when was the last time you shut your mouth and actually just listened to God? Not saying a bunch of prayers with a bunch of words. I mean, when was the last time you sat there and said, Lord, I have no idea. You have to help me. You have to tell me. I'm going to shut up now and listen. That's not something that is naturally cultivated in our culture. 
We also, of course, do things and say things, but if we don't return to square one, and what he means by square one is this dependence on Christ. Each time we act, each time we speak, beginning from God and God's word, we will soon be found to be practicing a spirituality that has little or nothing to do with God. And so it's necessary if we are going to live truly a Christian life and not just use the word Christian to disguise our narcissistic and Promethean attempts at a spirituality without worshiping God and without being addressed by God, it's necessary to return to this posture of not knowing and non-achievement and total, de- total dependence on Christ by his spirit and adore God and listen to God. Given our sin-damaged memories that render us vulnerable to every latest edition of journalistic spirituality, daily reorientation in the truth revealed in Jesus and attested in the scripture is required. And given our ancient predisposition for reducing every scrap of divine revelation that we come across into a piece of moral and spiritual technology that we can use to get on in the world and ultimately to get on without God, A daily return to a condition of not knowing and non-achievement is required. We have proven time and again that we are not to be trusted in these matters. We need to return to absolute and total dependence on Jesus through the power of the Spirit for a fresh start as often as every morning, noon, and night. Every hour, every minute, every second of your life lived in a posture of I don't know and I can't do, so you have to tell me and then you have to do it through me. That is Christian discipleship. Anything less than that is not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to make us so we could perform. He came so that he could live in us and then through us to make the whole world his place. Filled with the knowledge of God. And so like Dallas Willard said, The Christian life is what you do when you finally realize you can't do anything. So people are like, well, what do I do? If if you're asking the question, what do I do? Then the answer is you need to sit and be still until you realize that you can't do it. And you're like, well, I got to serve in this way. Eh, Stop. Well, but if I don't, like maybe you put, eh, Stop. Because if we don't learn how to do this watermark, if we don't learn how to do this basic thing, then all we're doing is spreading around a discipleship that's cloaked in Jesus's name, but really is just an extension of our own egos. So this is not optional. We need to cultivate and maintain a posture of not knowing and non-achievement. That's what I mean by that. Um, Secondly, I would say, hey, don't outrun the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Most of the time, the Holy Spirit is going a lot slower than you think or you want. But that's because he's not helping you behave better. He's transforming you into a different kind of person. And that takes time. So when you find yourself stuck or when you find somebody else that you're shepherding stuck, be patient. Be patient with the brother or sister. Don't try to force them to go faster than they're ready to go. I'm not gonna take my daughter and shove her up and make her run with my seven-year-old. Why would I do that? 
In the same way, if somebody is crawling, and here's the thing, guys, we expect that everybody is starting from the same spot. We're definitely not. I mean, some people are starting from this and they, they start off trotting and, and you're like, well, that's pretty nice, right? Other people, like their entire lives, barely get off the starting line. That's okay. The Spirit is orchestrating this. It's our job as disciple makers, which really is just people who are participating in one another's discipleship as the Spirit leads and guides and disciples us. It's our responsibility to encourage one another along, to remind each other of the love of God. And so we have to avoid pride. We have to avoid uniformity, thinking that everybody has to look the same, thinking that every single person that walks through these doors has to get watermarked so that they look and smell and taste and all of that, all the same. We have to avoid exclusivity. We have to avoid gift projection. In other words, in order to really be a disciple, you have to do this, 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 and this. And if I don't see that then, but really all you're doing is going, hey, you need to look like me. And then, you know, you're making a disciple of yourself. And that is not going to go well, ever. Fourthly, and man, I wish I could spend a lot of time on this because I wrote a dissertation on it. And uh, that dissertation is really long. But maybe another time. <coughs> but we have to recognize, and this is so critical, and we have to recognize that when you walk into a room with a community group or your community group or anybody that you're shepherding, you certainly are not talking about the same God. Now, people will be like, well, what is this guy talking about? What the heck, you know, talking about? And uh, I think A.W. Tozer says it really well. He said, he said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And I guarantee there's, I don't know how many people are in here, but however many people are in here, there are that many gods sitting in the auditorium. Because while there is one God who is supreme, the objective reality who is God, Yahweh has revealed himself to us. What you think about him and the way you image him and even the way you experience him is not him. In the same way, what's your name, brother? Spencer. Spencer. In the same way, if I look at Spencer and I'm like, well, hey, Spencer, what's your last name, brother? Phillips. Phillips. Spencer Phillips. Everybody give it up for Spencer Phillips. All right. What's up? Spencer Phillips is a real person, right? I don't think I'm like delusional in saying that he's real. Like I can see him. I'm confident if I was to hop off the stage that and shake his hand, he would actually be there, right? I think he's an objectively real person. However, I'm looking at him from a stage. And so my view of him, while is accurate in what I can see, is not complete, and guess what? The lens that I view people through has been shaped by other people. It's been shaped by my experiences. It's been shaped by my woundedness. It's been shaped by all of my defense mechanisms that I've formed over years, my patterns of attachment and how I relate to people. It's been shaped by all of those things. And so you can be certain. So I did a ton of work here at Watermark. In fact, some of the people that took part in this uh, assessment that I did are in this room, right? So, so I did a ton of work and I dug down into 20 different people's God image, the way that they image God, the way they emotionally relate to him. And I'm just telling you guys, you need to assume, you need to assume that if you walk into a room, at least half of the people in there have an insecure relationship with their image of God. Whether it's been abuse, 
whether it's been unmet expectations, whether it's been physical, sexual, emotional dysfunction or trauma in their lives, that keeps them from relating to the real thing in healthy ways. And so there's a lot more I can say about this, but I'm running low on time, which is par for the daggum course. But just to know that, hey, a lot of people, when you say God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, the reaction that you have, that you may have, and the reaction somebody else has are two different things. And so the most important thing you can do as a shepherd or a community group leader at Watermark, above everything else, you have to do everything you do in love. Love is the authenticating mark of a disciple of Jesus. God is love. Some people might be like, well, didn't Jesus just say like, if you obey my commandments? And so like the, the Christian legalists may turn to Jesus' statement, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, John 14, 15, as a proof text to show that obedience equals love. So just obey, just obey, just obey. It doesn't matter why you obey, just obey, just do it. Come on, just do it, do more. When you're done doing that, do some more. But this fundamentally misunderstands the statement. The command of Jesus is love. Which is only possible as the love of God saturates our hearts. And that's only possible if we learn to rightly relate to the objective reality who is God. Which means we have to go through an extensive work by the Holy Spirit to heal all of our woundedness that keeps us from knowing and really truly believing and experiencing that God really does love you. Not only does he love you, he likes you. He delights in you. When I see my daughter and she runs in at the end of the day, daddy, daddy, daddy. I mean, like if you have children, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're just like, oh my God. <laughs> and you want to hold on to her, right? If I'm an imperfect father and I feel like that toward my daughter, who's totally jacked up, what does God feel about you? An infinite, perfect, loving father. The love of God is not some kind of like extra divine attribute that God just kind of adds on to all of his other stuff like the wrath of God or the anger of God or the demanding nature of God, or, which is the way most of us think about God especially in the evangelical West. There's a long story on that, but that's the way most of us think about God. No, the love of God constitutes an ontological reality. What that means is that's the essence of who he is. What kind of being when you interact with him and he indwells you produces in you love? What must God be like if when you hang out with him, you increase in love, joy, peace, patience? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What must he be like? If anything, Jesus is teaching his disciples the nature of love. We love because he first loved us. Look, if somebody is having trouble obeying, he doesn't have an obedience problem. He has a love problem. If someone has trouble loving, he has a remembering problem. If somebody has trouble remembering the gospel, he must be reminded of the love of God. 
which will compel him. And this gets to the, probably the most practical thing. We have to disciple people in belief first. So before you're ever like, well, you just need to do this, this, and this, you'll be all right. Take these and call me in the morning. What the heck? No. We need to dig past the external behavior to, hey, what do you believe about God right now? It seems like that your belief about God is, is malformed. That God is something other than love. But that's not God, that's Satan. You're reorienting people's belief. That's where the spirit is primarily working to bring about a deep-seated conviction in the disciple's heart that he is unconditionally loved by the father. Only when that happens, only when somebody begins to receive the love of God, can a disciple truly obey Jesus's command to love. And you can't conjure this up. Thomas Merton said in New Seeds of Contemplation, he said, the beginning of the fight against hatred, the basic Christian answer to hatred is not the commandment to love, but what must necessarily come before in order to make the commandment bearable and comprehensible. It is a prior command. And the command is not to love. The command is to believe. The root of Christian love is not the will to love, but the faith that you are loved. You cannot love unless you are first receiving the love of God. It's literally impossible. You cannot conjure this up. So the most important thing that we will do in discipleship here at Watermark and this local body and that Christianity will do anywhere in the world is to help people move into a space where they can on an ongoing basis experientially receive the love of God, where they really are convinced on an experiential level that God delights in him, that God loves them, that God's not angry at them, that God is inviting. We have to have the faith that we are loved by God because that is the truth. You are loved by God. And so when Jesus invites us to come, he doesn't invite us to a way of life or to an ethical code or to a law. He invites us to himself. And he says, come to me, everybody who is weary and burdened. And I'll give you a lot of work to do. I'll put, I'll put more weight on you so you run yourself into the ground. No, I'll give you rest. Come to me. Everybody who's weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's that student language. Learn from me. He wants to teach us. He is the teacher. Because my yoke, that thing that you're carrying around, it's all heavy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you come to Jesus and really do walk with him, depend on him in a posture of not knowing and non-achievement, what you're going to find is not more work to do. You're going to find that God is already working all around you. 
that you are privileged as an image of God, reanimated for his purposes to partner with him. And the crazy thing is, guys, is when we partner with him correctly, the natural result of that is that we rest. We find rest for our souls. And so if you're weary and burdened, I think it's good to examine in whose strength and whose power am I trying to live the Christian life? Because I think as we yoke ourselves to Jesus, the very natural result of that yoke is an easy way, rest for our souls. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. As always, if you enjoyed it, tell everybody you know. Everybody. Also, we would like more comments as to the favorite quotes that you think that we say all the time. (laughs) I've heard that those exist. (laughs) We would like them. Uh, Yeah. Bye. Peace. Peace.